Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Welcome back to the show. John Riggio, our dear friend, is back joining us uh, as an architect and CEO of his own company uh, based out of New Jersey, but uh, world-renowned for the work he's done and also for the tennis he's played. There's a lot to this man. Let me have him do his introduction. And I know today we're going to kind of focus on that sporty side of you and talk more about the tennis and all that you've accomplished in your life with that and your trip to Japan as well. So there's a lot. John, please say hello. Yes, hi, how are you? My name is John Riggio. And today I want to continue talking about some tennis. I was thinking about the past and I thought of some really important things to really piece together what I was talking about. I think the one most important thing was uh, at the time when I was uh, playing with the Perot Group. They bought my contract at the time. And at the time, that contract was bought for 25. It was really a gross of $30 million. I just used to use the term 25 million. And what happened was at that time, uh, usually in tennis, they don't like to use the natural name of a player. Okay. Because it becomes a problem. Yes, it becomes a problem with things like uh, promotions, advertising, things like that. It's, It's really because it's pro tennis. They're really doing things, making money off of it. And uh, it's also for your safety, too, that people aren't going to start looking up your natural name and things like that. So uh, at that time, they went through some names. Okay. And uh, the first name that we went through was to use uh, the name uh, John Vice. Ooh, and very so, Miami Vice sounding, yes. Yes, but what's that name was pretty good. A lot of the yeah. other pro players, they liked the name because they liked the name like when we're playing, I'm going to really clamp down on them, you know, playing a game and uh, and win the game. And, and so the name John Vice, they sort of liked the name. Uh, I think, but what happened was... Uh, in the first early games I played with them, I was using that name, John Weiss. But then as it went through the Perot company, they decided to have me use the name Carlos Scipio. And this name, uh, very interestingly, was derived for a number of reasons. The, it was really derived off myself, my personality, and they liked the name Carlos Scipio because originally, at one point in 1987, when I got to playing at a certain level, I uh, really need to have backing from people. And uh, one group of people who really always are interested in tennis is really people who are royals, the royal families, things like that. So... Um, through channeling uh, with the tennis center, I was able to uh, meet someone who was interested in backing my game, was really interested in my tennis playing, was really the Princess Savoy. And um, so his name is, um, let me just put it here for a second. I want to make sure I have it correct. Is Mr. Uh, Filiberto Manuel, which was the Princess of Hawaii at the time. And um, I met him there at my court 33. 
and he knighted me and uh, talked to him for a few minutes. And I think at that time I explained this meeting. I was able to play with the famous player, Sergio Tashini, which is very nice. And um, I won the match, of course. And um, so from that point, now getting back into the year where Perot bought my contract, uh, the name Carlos or Carlo is really like a name that I would usually be called in Italy. So if I was to visit Italy, they wouldn't use the name John. They don't really like the name John for me. They look at me. They say, really? Yeah, you're not a John. Really. Wow. Yes, they would use the name Carlo. <laughs> okay. So this is how that name Carlo ended up became a Carlos. So then the next name, Scipio, was really just like a synonym name. It was a similar name, but I think Scipio was really a famous name. In ancient times, he was ancient general. And um, so that name is it was really good, you know, compared to my name, uh, Riggio, which has a similar spelling to it. So they like Scipio Kazami. So then that was good. And when I went to the uh, team to play with uh, Perot, the the local manager there and um, the Perot group, they took their name, Paulo mm -hmm. Scipio, and they sort of just made it like a Texan name. So it's really like I visited Italy and maybe went and moved over to Texas. So then my name is now Carlos Scipio. <laughs> and that's really how they put that name together. The name is really just for me. And... Um, that that's really how it worked. It's a nice name, and in fact, they did some very serious marketing studies at that time, because at the time I had a spokesman and the pro company, you know, really spending a lot of money on my contract. Really did some research on marketing that name, and that name went over very well with the group of people that they were marketing there. I think a lot of marketing might have been going through uh, Texas. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that is very good. And I think um, uh, I was researching some tennis training and some coaching videos. And just by chance, similar to the Tony Roger video, I was watching the video and they were talking about some players. Now, this okay. players are usually, they were playing in Spain a lot and in uh in the Latin America. And um, they were talking about players that really can hit the ball really good. And they were talking about Glamour uh, Villas can hit the ball really good. Talking about some backhand hits. Talking about Rafael Nadal. So both of those players are from two different generations. One's a little older, one's much younger. And they're also talking about uh, hitting the ball like Scipio. And that's really myself. So I was watching the video, and they were they were referencing my name. So that was pretty good. I think uh, uh, that video is on a USPTA-approved video, and it's also approved by the European Tennis uh, Association. And uh, I'll see if I can get a, a clip of that. Yeah, and by the uh, way, what is the tennis website, too? Oh, yes, I have my tennis website here. I could share that with you right now. So let's, let's go and, and see if we could share the screen. Okay, so let's go over to the, the tennis web page. I have some previous names listed here. Now, the name John Weiss, I didn't add it to the list. I could um, add it later. Sure. But as I just remembered this story 
So between the name uh, John Vanderbilt mm-hmm. and Carlos Scipio, there was another name in there, John Weiss. And I think John Weiss was pretty good for the USA. I think the, that kind of name was good. They had the show Miami Vice on at the time, too. And uh, that wasn't too bad. But Carlos Scipio was the next name and the uh, um, the team or the sponsors in Japan really continued that name, Carlos Scipio. My name wasn't changed again. So this this name is my name. And, and that name is whenever I am really sort of like an actor on scene, I would use that name. So that is uh, the different names I have. And I think this page... I just went through a whole history, gave a little explanation of my tennis and showed some names, some things about my tennis playing going down here. Um, I remember some of my uh, ATP records. And I just did a summary of how I started off, just explaining uh, how I started off with my own tennis club. And this is really what gave me the... Uh, the attention for people to see me playing. And then from that, they can notice I had a great ability to play tennis. And then this goes down uh, through the history of tennis, going through court 33. Who who inspired you to start playing this sport? Well, really, I started with my family. My mother and father, they used to like to play some tennis. And uh, I started playing with my family, myself, my brothers, and my mother and father. We went down to the local tennis court, and my father gave me some tennis lessons, and I think they could tell I could hit the ball really fast, even at a young age. So uh, at a young age, I think my father looked at me and and thought I could become a pro tennis player. And so this started off, and then the next continuation of that idea was when I wanted this – certain Prince tennis racket that was very popular at the time. And my mother bought it at a local pro shop. The only thing is when I use it Mm -hmm. the first day, I bent the whole racket. And when she brought the racket back, the pro shop um, owner, Patrick Mulroney, he looked at that racket and he can tell in two seconds that I was going to become a tennis pro. So my mother came back with three uh-huh. rackets instead. She gave me a, a brand new racket plus two other Prince rackets. Oh, no, it wasn't Prince. It was two other rackets. They weren't Prince. And so I came back with three rackets, and I was really happy about it. And then it took a short time, but my skills did develop. And then the next the next one that really saw my playing was the uh, in my – Middle school, I went to a a school that has a middle school and a high school are in one building. And uh, they have a, a tennis um, administrator there. And he looked at my playing when I created my tennis club. And he thought the same thing, that I could become a tennis pro. So he gave me a chance to become a tennis pro. And uh, that is when I was able to really make it in pro sports i was able to go past the itf level very quickly and go to the atp level and he gave me a ranking of 1500 and i think i had said before very interesting i signed a contract with him Mm -hmm. with him and the u.s tennis center 
And that made me really like uh, an official U.S. player. And that was very important to give me a rank. And, this, and that was uh, very good. And I even got a, a vacation to Puerto Rico with my family. This made us where we took the first plane flight in my family. Uh-huh. Went on a 747 there. And we went there and uh, the, the plane flight, very interesting, was really only for people who were really like uh, usually in the army, other government services. And my mother was there and she couldn't believe what was happening because they, uh, I, I had explained on the plane flight, she was, my mother was wondering why everyone is really like in the government on the airplane flight. And I told her that I signed a contract with the U.S. Tennis Center and I'm an official, you know, U.S. player. Wow. And she was really impressed with that. She really couldn't believe it. And um, But, uh, yeah, she was really the one who went to the pro shop, and she was helping me going back and forth, getting the rackets and things like that. And uh, uh, so that was very good. And so from there, um, my playing did continue. And the next step after that was picking up a sponsor, and I was able to pick up the sponsor, Prince Racket Company. And that's when I was able to um, showcase their rackets. The idea was also to I could continue to advertise their rackets and uh, things like that. And they supported me getting me into all the tournaments. The tournaments were very expensive, and they um, they were um, uh, put me through those things and and very good. And and then at that point they were that was the time when they first were starting the thing with the Olympics. And, and I think that was that was the year when they were recruiting people to play in the Olympics. That the only oh catch goodness. was, uh, you can't play in the Olympics if you're a pro player. So the recruiter was asking me if really? I, yes, yes, you you can't play if you obtain more than three thousand dollars worth of equipment. And obviously, I told them no. I I have much more than three thousand dollars worth of equipment. They were giving me thousand dollar rackets thousand dollar sweatsuits and um all kinds of supplies like that and then of course they were also paying for those tournaments which have a, a large dollar value to them yeah. twenty thousand dollars each so so uh at that point i did make the olympics but i did not play in it and that's pretty good it turned out because that was there was some controversy later on in that they might have read in the newspaper but the, uh, that was the group of players I was with. So, yeah. so from there, that was very good. And then from that um, uh, is just before I then moved from my courts in Jericho, where at the courts in Jericho, all the best players were coming down to play me, mm-hmm. and um, which was really only very few players in the world had that ability where all the players would come to play them. And uh, from there, I then uh, moved over to Court 33. And I think if you uh, look on the screen, I have a picture of Court 33. Oh, my gosh. Let me see. I was able to look around and find it. What it shows here, this is the old map of the tennis center. And right here in writing on the right-hand side, it says Court 33 over here. 
And this map is right before they made the courts part of the tennis center. So it's, they call that uh, practice courts. But when I was there, it was made part of the tennis center. And it is listed here as court 33. So because I think today, if you were to look at the court arrangement, the numbers, there's no way to find it. They It's completely renovated. The whole place has changed around. But when I was playing, it's, it's shown here on the map, court 33. So that's that's where I used to play. And I had my own court there. And uh, they were even giving me opportunities to fill up the court with other players, maybe some students, things like that. And um, and from court 33, I then went over to uh, Ali Pond, which is this here. And Ali Pond today is the largest um, bubble in the whole United States. So that, that tennis bubble that was, they made the whole building and tennis center for me has continued to grow into the largest tennis bubble in the USA. And then this here um, from that is this picture is the Ali Pond, which is uh, not Ali Pond, excuse me, is the Sutton East Tennis Center. And this shows here, I think here it says Sutton East, Vanderbilt, Yorkville. And of course, my uh, my sponsor there was um, mm -hmm. uh, Gloria Vanderbilt was the lead sponsor. She was the one who was really the, the person who had the, the name visible to everyone that she was my sponsor. And I was playing there on my own tennis court. My my bubble that they had at Adi Pond, they moved it inside this complex. This complex is very large. It's the largest bubble in Manhattan. And uh, it has uh, bubbles inside this. It's one block large. It's still there. You can go, it's under the 59th Street Bridge. It's a very large complex. And they still have the entrance here. This entrance was made just for me, the east entrance. You walk in there. And those are was the, my own private courts. On the other side of the block there, inside that large large structure of a, of a bubble, they have the public courts. So they have the public courts. And mine was the private courts over here. So that was really amazing. And this really... Um, gave me the uh, a, a big move up in in the tennis where this is a very stable location and I was playing there for a while and um, things were very good and then at some point my tennis Aww. was sold over to Perot wow and uh, and and one interesting thing was also this if you see in in, in Times Square, Time Square yeah you see this grandstand? So this grandstand was originally over here next to the tennis bubble. It was on it was on the back side of the tennis bubble. Oh, yes, wow. yes. And one interesting thing about that grandstand is that it was a um designed by an artist from Europe. And I think they said he was either from France or Germany. I don't remember his exact location, but that was designed specially. And I remember some of the sponsors and people following my tennis they used to they were used to sit on those beaches and they told me you know how they look and everything that they were painted red and it was so what they did at some point is uh because of code reasons with the wow. uh, with the building department in new york city and the occupancy they ended up taking that um set of bleachers and it was sold over to the Times Square Development Company, and they ended up 
I, I, I was reading that they had renovated it a little, they moved it over, and they put yeah. it into Times Square. So that that uh, bleacher, even though it was bought and constructed for me and designed for me, it took on its own future. That is awesome. They didn't just throw it in the garbage. They ended up selling it and then moving it over there, and then it ended up sitting there in Times Square. And and that's that's good. I think one thing about seeing that they have um, someone here that is with the Catholic Church in front of the bleacher, which sort of gives me a, a memory of, of back then. Um, I used to call my local parish, and I used to update them about my tennis play. And I invited the the uh, priest to come down and visit Aww. my my uh, location of playing, and he did come down and show up and take a look around. And uh, they so that was very interesting. And um, so that that was interesting. And then this here is uh, at the time they were instead of having the large grandstand, they decided to build a stadium. And the stadium was based off on the specifications of what they call Roland Garros. Roland Garros is a top tournament in Europe. Okay. And this is, uh, they, so they had the plans to build the stadium. They started construction of it, but it was never completed. And what happened was uh, that stadium, when Perot was the lead to buy over my contract, uh, they offered him to complete the stadium. Okay. And then name it after him, called Perot Stadium. So the stadium originally was going to have another name before it, but at that point, uh, with the contract deal uh, for $30 million gross uh, dollars, the, they were going to include finishing the stadium and giving it uh, under his name. So that was pretty big. And that was the year that he was really starting to run for president of the United States of America. So he, um, he, he, at that point, I think uh, that wasn't too bad of publicity to have Perot Stadium, but I think they didn't really go bother with mm -hmm. the stadium. Uh, for some reason, tennis overall isn't really a stadium game. They don't really bother with stadium, usually some bleachers like the grandstand, things like that. And, um, they uh so this the stadium i think a lot of people today would probably think the stadium was a really big thing that you really want the stadium but in fact the perot group of investors in my tennis they did not take the offer to continue that stadium but they could have continued and he could have the stadium in his name that was very interesting and uh so that's that's one part of it and i think um uh with the perot team with with playing, of course, with each tennis player, there's always a few different nice items tennis players usually have, like in the status symbols, things like that. And I think one of them is cars. And this here yeah. is a picture of the McLaren F1. Now, this is the car that um, I was able to get the money to lease this car for six months. But the only thing is this car is so fast that it requires a training course to to have the car. So uh, with the Perot group, they were able to uh, have the, the salesman call me. And what they did is, since I needed the car right away, 
he was nice enough to have the car brought over to my courts at Old Westbury, and he parked the car there. That is really my car, and that was really a symbol of my playing. And this is all right. We're going to pick up on that symbol of playing with the car. Tell us the website. We got to take that quick break, and uh, can't wait. We're going to pick up on the car. So remind us how we can reach you. The easiest way to find my webpage is to go onto my Facebook page. Let me just um, switch it over to the Facebook page for two seconds. Sure. Okay, so this is the Facebook page, and this is the best way to find me. You go onto Facebook, and you look up John Riggio Pro Tennis Player. And there on the Facebook page, you could like the page. You can um, go on to where it says uh, the intro. And it shows my oh, link to my web page. Perfect. All right, guys, we'll be right back. We're going to pick back up on the site. We'll be right back with more. Are you struggling with fatigue, insomnia, digestive issues, brain fog, or some other health problem, and nothing seems to work? This is because the root cause is not being addressed. Hi, I'm Amy Willis, Master Herbalist, Certified Naturopath, and owner of Herbs for You. At Herbs for You, we get to the root of health issues. Call 605-254-1437 or visit our website at www.herbs4you.org where medicine has failed, herbs prevail. If you have unfiled taxes or are in debt to the IRS, this is important news. The IRS just rolled out a new program to help struggling taxpayers more easily resolve their tax problems. It's called the Taxpayer Relief Initiative, and it opens up powerful new options for people looking to get back on the right track with the IRS. And no one knows this program like the professionals at Optima Tax Relief, America's most trusted tax resolution company. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debt for their clients and have the expertise and experience to help you. One easy call to Optima can start the process, helping to put an end to your worries of wage garnishment, asset seizure, and other aggressive IRS actions. Make today the beginning of your fresh start with the IRS. Call the experts at Optima Tax Relief now for your free confidential consultation. Call 800-386-9945. 800-386-9945. Optima Tax Relief. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. Compassionate Healing Services offers a unique approach to treating mental and physical health conditions. We combine trauma healing with Reiki energy work and other holistic modalities. Compassionate isn't just the name of our business. It's the driving force behind our mission and the people we choose to collaborate with. If you or a loved one struggles with mental health, give us a call at 856-334-0018 or visit chsyoga.com. Compassionate Healing Services. Mental health done differently. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. We are back with John Reggio, our pro tennis player and architect, man who wears many hats. And it's awesome. We're walking down memory lane here today. And he actually was able to pull up uh, uh, some great facts that are on the website. By the way, we're going to uh, go back to that McLaren. So hold on. So you personally couldn't afford the McLaren. But wait, the company brought it? Did they buy it for you? Did they let you drive in it? Well, what was the deal or the arranger with that? Yes, th- I talked to the um, the lease um, company, and uh, he really liked the idea of the pro tennis and everything. I described to him, and what he did was he brought the car over to my courts and parked it there for free. 
and he just left it there for a little while. Some of the other players would show up, they'd see my car, and they knew it was a symbol that I am an excellent player, and it's like a status symbol. And um, so I, I, they, they end up leaving the car there to finish there at the uh, Westbury campus, and then he, he, uh, he, he removed the car. So it just stayed there for a while, and it was, it was pretty good. And uh, so that's, that's really what happened with that car. Oh, amazing. That looks like the car. Was that the one? I, I'm not a big car person like I was a girl, but in the Wolf of Wall Street, isn't that, is that like that? It was like a Lamborghini or that's the McLaren that he banged yes, it up? Yes, it is. It's very expensive. It, it, I think at the time it's like a car that's maybe $350,000. It's a very expensive car. Oh my gosh. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Um, so let's go back to it. Uh, again, your Facebook page, uh, go to John Riggio uh, Pro Tennis Player. What was it? Yes. Just some very simple John Riggio Pro Tennis Player on Facebook. And then from there, you could find the link to my webpage that describes all the different things. And I have all of the videos that I've made, and uh, they're all here on my Facebook page. So you can watch all the videos. And uh, that's very good. I have some pictures of different things like uh, some old sport equipment and things like that. I think if we were to just go back onto the um, this page, let me just share this. If we just go back on this page, I think from here I can. This is a aerial photo of the Old Westbury campus. And the Old Westbury campus, what happened is. Um, the pro group, they were able to use this whole set of uh, tennis courts. There was another two courts over here years ago. And they were also able to use the facility for the athletic center. They were able to use the lockers, the showers, things like that. So all visiting players were able to go here. On the opposite side of this building, uh, the pro group set up a tent structure. And in there is where they had their tennis managers were there, their tennis coaches, and th that stayed there uh, as we played the tennis. And what happened at this tennis center was I initially started playing with the Perot uh, group who he had some sponsored players already, and I was playing with them. So I started out playing with them for a while, and at that point, that's when I used the name John Vice. Ah. Started, they started to get some players off-site. A lot of them are coming from the tennis center. Other ones are coming from the ATP tour. I started to play with them, and they they liked that name, John Weiss. But then during that time, it was switched over to Carlos Scipio. Okay. So then the Carlos Scipio name, I, I was using that, and things really started getting going. I started to play all the teams in the Pacific. I played the Japan team. Indonesia, all of the different countries there in the Pacific. And uh, I played amazingly. I didn't lose too many matches. Uh, and, and then from there, I started to play some of the tournaments that were coming through the U.S. Tennis Center. So all of the, the tennis players that you see locally that are, were in the news at that time, they all came and played. And I won the tennis tournaments I was an amazing player, and uh, I think John Macro was always impressed with my playing. He was there. He, he told me that I Aww. 
was playing much higher than than himself and that I was the center of attention where everyone was coming to play me. And so they were all very impressed with that. And uh, uh, I did very good. I won all the tournaments. And um, I think uh, with the Japan team, there was a couple players, the coach and like one player that were a little, a little angry, like getting a little jealous. And uh, in, in fact, they did have to do something about them, but the, uh, the, the whole event with the Japan team went very good. And, and so by the end of me playing the, the players there, uh, the Mitsubishi team, they decided to buy my contract. And they bought the contract wow. for $100 million. Yes. So this is oh the largest gosh. contract in, in tennis at the time. I surpassed Guillermo Villas was the previous highest contract Aww. in tennis. And um, so I think I had I said another show, but uh, in the newspapers, the the biggest sport contracts at the time were people like Michael Jordan and uh, Jose Canseco and myself were the highest players. So I had the $100 million contract. And then that contract of $100 million, uh, a short time later, really a few years later, it was... Enlarged by adding on some new lead investors, and one of the lead investors was uh, Bernard Tapey. Bernard Tapey was the owner of Adidas. He lives in France, in Europe. Okay. And he um, decided to invest in the contract. Uh, at this time, I uh, I had to go back and get the help from my my lawyer, uh, Hillary Clinton her office and this whole deal really went ahead and i think the whole deal really went ahead because i was calling the mitsubishi corporate office i took my chance to ask to call them and i talked to them and and by telling them and and sort of describing how the whole thing works with the pro tennis contracts and investors they started to catch up and they were able to really get the bernard tapey to invest in my tennis and Bernard Tapey also was able to get another one of his investors. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while to remember, but he was able to get Reebok. Okay, wow. Reebok at the time was in Britain. And I think they, he was really a business partner, friends with, with Reebok. So Reebok was able to uh, become my lead investor. So they really made it where Reebok was the lead investor at that point. I didn't write it down on my webpage yet. But uh, I'm just saying it now. So this is the first time I'm really divulging that information. And they were the lead investor. And uh, so then my contract went up to $120 million, which continued to stay as the highest contract in tennis, which is they were really impressed with. The the Mitsubishi office, I was talking to one of their representatives, and um, they confirmed that. They were getting into the whole thing with learning about the tennis contracts and everything. They checked on the tennis contract. It was still the largest tennis contract in tennis. And that was really good. And I think uh, uh, at this time also, my my playing uh, was more developed where I had stand-in that was able to make appearances as a Motortron. And then also I had a spokesman. Now, the first spokesman I had... Uh, is also a spokesman for some other entertainers. 
So he was my first spokesman. Then we changed spokesman and had the next spokesman after that. And he was really uh, so happy to get this job as my spokesman. And, and it was really good. I think my sponsors were really happy about it. And he continued as my spokesman. And so it was really, uh, as far as my visibility was concerned, there were really three people that were making myself visible. And they were going through uh, all different avenues. In fact, uh, after I got married, I visited my in-laws, and they were all the way up in China. And it turns out their cousin, who was a... Really like a, their best player in the whole province there. And it was really like a pro player. She had my player card. She had my tennis player card and knew my whole tennis history. So this whole thing with the getting the word out, putting myself on ESPN, world television, all throughout China, Pacific. She knew my whole playing career and it was really amazing. So I think that was proof. And she did show me my the card that she had she still had it there so that was i think good proof that my playing was getting out and everything and i think uh one thing also with playing over in the pacific and everything was um the uh, i was able to help one player one player was born in the philippines he's playing with the japan team and and he uh really took to my lessons since i beat the whole japan team and they 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 couldn't beat me and they were playing all the other players from the US tennis center at the time. I I started to teach some of them some tennis. And one player uh that I described, he really took to that playing. And when they went back to Japan, he really started to make some waves because he uh was able to beat some top players that they sent over to Japan. Players uh that were in the the uh that came from Europe, came from the U.S., and they that really made big waves where my sponsors gave me a phone call and told me about this, and it was really good. And uh, I think from that also exposed that I was even more of a winning player. It exposed all kinds of things that were going on where some people were trying to sneak in that they won and things like that. And then, and this really pushed me up to where I was really more widely recognized that I was uh, really the top player. I was really number one and number one obviously was reflected in my contract because when I was playing, I was playing uh, tournaments and matches that were really top ranked tournaments ATP tournaments, and they really had great value to them. And that's really what kept me on top. Uh, I didn't, they didn't have me play things like uh, independent tournaments, uh, things that were really even like ITF, which was considered the minor leagues. They played only ATP. And that's really kept me on top of the game. And that worked very good. So I think that's that is what was happening. So I think recently I was able to get to Japan. And I think the whole thing with the communication issue, uh, even though they made Reebok the lead, so Mitsubishi is no longer the lead in my contract. Really, Reebok is really the lead. And Bernard Tepe is sort of, uh, I did uh, say his name and that he owned Adidas, but really the Reebok, what is the lead in the contract? And... Um, 
So they uh, had trouble contacting me. And I think that has to do with the whole thing with the telephones. And I was getting a little old. I wasn't living at the same location anymore. And I think at this time, trying to communicate also started to do develop a whole thing where uh, I received some interesting phone calls. Uh, like it was really getting much later in my career. It was going like all the way to like the year 1998. And I was getting phone calls to maybe appear on different TV shows and things like that. And I think at that time, I was also learning how to try to decipher which phone calls are really authentic, what things I was getting in the mail were authentic, what things were were really um, uh, maybe something just like that was either maybe a fraud or a joke or things like that. I think some some phone calls I talked about were going on The Tonight Show, Saturday Night Live, a Morton Downey Jr. show, and um, other sport uh, people that I uh, had on there, like Brandon Steiner, and could interview with him. And then, um, so I think at that time, I was I was still involved with my pro tennis career and things like that. Uh, so that was very interesting. And um, so, so I was really, at that point, was still trying to hold on with the tennis career. But I think... Uh, um, it was difficult to really continue to communicate. I think it, what happened with the, the team with Reebok in Japan is that they uh, there were some problems uh, from a distance getting the tour to really go ahead. They really had to have a lot of people here in person, I think. I think from the experiences that were successful, they had to have some people in person, maybe sitting at the court side, and that would really get the, the thing going. I think doing it too far away where no one is here except myself just going to a tennis court. Unfortunately, no, no one really wanted to show up for that reason. And even though they officially would lose the match and I would win the match, that uh, didn't really help that much. So that was one problem. And uh, so I think recently I was able to get over to Japan and um, I went over to some of the areas that they – uh, play tennis, and I have some interesting pictures of tennis. Uh, I think uh, I went over to uh, to Japan. First, I was over in the north part of Japan. Let me see if I can get here this here. Let's stop the share of the other one. Let me just show this here. Okay. Uh, let me let me open this first. Okay, good. Let's see if I can I can share this here. Okay, good. Okay, let me share this. Okay, this works good. Can you see that full picture? Now I can, yes. Oh, look this, at this you. Is, this is myself in Japan. Oh, and, amazing. Um, it was very nice to, to get around Japan. They had the 7-Eleven there. It's um, it was, it's pretty good. Uh, it's, it's a nice area. I say this area in Tokyo is very international from what they told me. They're used to everyone just coming, walking around and everything. And this is this is one of their courts. Now this court is full of people, but it's a hundred and three degrees outside. This was a very hot day. They had a heat wave. We had the heat wave here, and but they didn't mind playing over here. They they were all playing. And uh, yeah, this is my tennis racket, and see the Japanese writing here, and uh, like these courts, you have to reserve them to play. Can you see the video moving? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is them playing here. And I see, I was just looking at, they're pretty good players. These are an advanced set of players playing here at these courts. And, and this, what they're playing on is a uh, imitation grass rug. And I ended up playing on this kind of surface over in the indoor courts I'll show you in a minute. So this here is the uh, north part near Sugamo. And yeah. this this here so played here. This is this is like the the building next to the tennis courts. Just some park. There's the tennis courts again. This myself. And um, this ice cream. That was gonna say is that ice cream? Yay! Yeah, they have they have nice ice cream dispensers. So this here is on their uh wow. on the railway, which is typical of anywhere. Mm-hmm, and we got, so we took the rail over to the Mitsubishi. I went over to the Mitsubishi um, Center. And this is the Mitsubishi Center over here. Oh wow! So this here is it says here, uh, yeah, Japan Sport Facilities. Um, can you read that? I can't. So I can't. Yes, it says Mitsubishi. Yuakai Sugamo okay. Sports Center. So this is really the sports center. And I think I was there. And um, I think the the pro tennis isn't really too visible. If you were if you were there, like I was explaining, they don't really want to have the pro tennis too visible because everyone's gonna come over and say they want to stop playing pros. Some people might even be there to harm the players. So this whole thing with the the wow. pro it isn't too visible, but the Mitsubishi Sports Center is shown right here very clearly. And um, so this is okay. So this is the sport building where they're in here. And uh, yeah, I went in there. Pro shop. It's written in English. And this is just the uh, the office there. Okay, so this is the north part of Sugamo. And um, but the pro facilities, and this is Mitsubishi over here, and this here, this is so this here has um, this isn't translated in English. Okay, so this is the going back through the uh, the railway, and this is getting on the train for the railway. Okay, so then this, let me show you the the south part. Now the south part of um, Japan. Okay, let me just open this. Let me share it real quick. Okay, so this is the south part, and this this worked out much better because this is really part of the hotel, the Prince Hotel there in the south part of Tokyo, and they have um, this is where the Olympics. They are housing people in the Olympics. A lot of these facilities were used for the Olympics, and they were uh, had the tennis facilities here, so they're pretty good for tennis facilities. And this here shows your tennis shop and the the counter. This is the outside of the building, right next to the hotel complex. And this here shows the indoor. This is the grass carpet. So I played here. This is a picture of me here. And uh, so this is the facility. It's a very nice building. Well, hey, what is the flooring in the tennis court? What What are you? What is it's that? Really, it's it's an imitation. Uh, it's a carpet. It's really carpet. Really, they just painted looking similar to grass. It isn't. <laughs> it isn't the plastic imitation grass. It's really carpet. Okay, good to know. So it's it's a very nice surface. It's good. the The temperature in here is, is pretty good, even though it's very hot outside. the The temperature is good. And then this here is uh, just showing a picture of myself here. And I think here they have the usual things there. I noticed they have Friday night tennis, and this here is just uh, the tennis court. That's my daughter there. And then Aww. this here is uh, just a video of me playing. 
I so missed your daughter. I didn't see her. Yes, I see her. Oh, yeah, I don't remember this. It's okay. That's my daughter there. Yay. So she got to play there. And, and then, um, yes, yeah, it's Friday night tennis right there in English, Friday night tennis. So they have the usual things. You can come play tennis at night, socialize. And then this is just myself playing here <laughs> on the um, on here. So let me see if I could just, okay, it doesn't turn. Okay, let's go to the next one now. Okay, yeah, so this is um, uh, another one, a video here. Okay, good, yeah. So then, so then I was just playing here. And um, so that's pretty good. And this is this shows the, the whole tennis courts. Amazing. It was really good. And um, so that's pretty good here. Now, how, how old is your daughter? Oh, she's 18 years old. Is she really good? She has a ability, yeah. She plays good. Oh, does she pursue it like like you did, or is it just a hobby, or it's just a hobby? But she, but she does play pretty good, and um, yeah. So we were playing here, and um, I think um, yeah, I think she she plays very good. She she can play if she's interested in advancing more. Certainly, she has ability. And uh, this, so this is just the inside of that tennis center. It's a very nice tennis center. And then this is some pictures showing Friday night tennis. Yeah. And this here is in uh, Japanese. Mm -hmm. And um, so this is just a video here. Took some videos of oh, this shows you yeah, everyone playing there. Uh, it's pretty good. And uh, let's amazing. See. Okay, now this is from uh, my hotel room, and it shows the. The tennis center complex here this is on the bottom of the screen it shows the whole tennis center complex and here they right next to the tennis center complex they also have a whole aquarium that everyone comes to go to the aquarium here and that's what they have and then some other interesting things is one we here just by chance they have these expensive cars so that was good so it sort of reminded me of years ago when i was playing always having like an expensive mercedes-benz Oh, uh, sitting next to the courts. And this is right next to the courts between the hotel building and the courts. They have these expensive court cars here. Maybe it's for the same idea of people playing and then they really have a very nice expensive Mercedes Benz. Uh, yes, it's pr probably very expensive. This, this here. And, uh, and they show here's one, this is, this is another one here. So that was very interesting. So this is like right outside between my lobby and the tennis center. They do have the same idea of having some nice cars there. That was just a coincidence, but I thought that was very good. Uh, was, gave me the same feeling of years ago. So this is the same idea. You would see like a car like this, wondering why there's expensive cars sitting there. Wow. <laughs> imagine. That's is there like a laser like security system around the base there? Like if someone walks to touch it, like does it go, er, er, set off an alarm? No, I see a lot of people just walk past the car there. I see they have one inside the building, one outside there. I don't see anyone touching the car. No, everyone just sort of looks at it. I think most they're, people they're, they're, they're kinder than Americans. If that was on the street in New York City, I don't know how long it would last. There'd be, I'd be armed oh. security people there, I, I would assume. Yeah, I think a lot of people want to come up here, try to open the doors, look what's yeah. inside there. But I think here, uh, a lot of people just sort of walk past the car. Mm -hmm. And uh, this mm -hmm. is, so I think here, this is everyone is just walking past yeah. the car. 
but the, it is very nice. This is this was good. This was good. I, I, I like that. That was that gave me a feeling of years ago. It was pretty good. Aww. So that's that's really the idea. I think you see like a fancy car there. It's the same exact idea at the different tennis centers. When I started playing past a certain point, they'd always have like a a really expensive Mercedes. I think the Mercedes, like I was explaining, is a similar type of car like this. That this was um, the one I had uh, that they brought me at was at. Um, Sun East was the the black Mercedes, and um, yeah, so I think that the type of Mercedes was really something like this. It was really a very special type of car, very expensive, and uh, that that is really what they had sent over to me. So that's pretty good. So I think this here. Awesome, and we still got two minutes left. Oh, okay. Almost out of time. Yes. So I think as far as the rest of my page goes, I have the videos on. If you were able to get the link to my webpage, it has all the videos on here also. And it just uh, just has a whole um, chronological description of my tennis playing. Some details I described today I could add onto there. And I think it was very good. And uh, so if you were to go on there, you could see the different things. I'm still adding information onto my whole chronological um, description of my whole tennis playing career, and it's very good. It's probably a lot of people would think it's interesting. Beautiful. Well, did you want to share again the website, how we can reach you? My goodness. Yes, I think the best thing to do is go onto my Facebook page, which is John Riggio Pro Tennis Player. That's J-O-H-N-R-I-G-G-I-O, and just write in Pro Tennis Player. And on Facebook, you can log on there, and then you get my link to my webpage, which has a whole chronological list of my playing. Beautiful. And I want to thank you today for sharing that, especially all those pictures. I love it. It's just like, get to feel like I'm right there with you. But wow. Wow. Now, is there another career path coming for you? I mean, if tennis wasn't it, uh, then architecture was. But no, you're still, you're, is there anything else that you're dabbling that you're going to surprise me with next week? <clears throat> No, I think um, I think right now I'm still involved with some tennis playing and uh, remembering the years. I'd like to share that with people. It's good. And uh, that's really where I am now. There's nothing uh, really new at this time. Perfect. Well, we want to remind everyone also johnriggio.com if they have any architectural needs as well, right? Of course, yes. Perfect. And anything else you want to add before we go? No, that's about it. But well, of course, awesome having you here. to go to my Facebook page and, and look at my career and really see all the different things that took place years ago. And we'd really like to look at those different. Perfect. Well, thank you again. Pleasure having playing. you here and awesome picks. We'll talk uh, next week, hopefully soon. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of this not so good weather day, but we'll get through it. Wednesday, we're going to see <laughs> some sun. All right. Have a great day, John. Thank you so much. Okay. Let's talk to you. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Hi, this is Terry Crews, actor, former football player, game show host, father of five, and all-around big dude. I'm also an expert on drama. I know all kinds of drama. There's the good kind that comes with having a house full of kids. There's the bad kind like season-ending injuries. 
there's the necessary kind, like having an agent in Hollywood. And there's silly drama, like the drama around my percolating pectorals. And then there's the drama you can skip. Skip the drama that comes with not having your high school diploma or equivalency. Find free adult education classes near you and finish your high school diploma. Visit finishyourdiploma.org. Or text DIPLOMA to 97779. Message and data rates may apply. Reply STOP to opt out. That's DIPLOMA to 97779. And leave the drama to actors like me. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ed Council.